Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome to Soul to Soul Radio, 101.9 Hi FM. I'm Rabbi Arakibman. Great to be with you here today. So today we are talking about the great festival of light, Hanukkah, that's coming up. And it's also important to know, I come from the U.S., today is also Thanksgiving. There's a lot to be grateful for and we ought to be to express that gratitude. And that's pretty much what part of the Hanukkah celebration is all about, is thanking God for the wonders and miracles that were performed for us, for our ancestors, so long ago. And Thanksgiving, you know, you read in this week's Parsha about Yehuda. Actually, not just Yehuda, we read about all of Yaakov's children. But we, the Jewish people, are not called by any of Jacob's sons, but rather by Yehuda, which means thanks. So the Jew means to have an attitude of gratitude, that we're constantly thanking God in our lives for everything we have. We count our blessings. We're grateful for all the blessings that we experience in our lives, and that's something very important. Perhaps some say that Christopher Columbus may have been a Jew, and that's why a turkey was used to celebrate Thanksgiving in the USA, because what's the Hebrew word for turkey? Hodu. And Hodu means to thank as well. Well, with that in mind, we have a month of gratitude. There's a lot of celebrations this month in the Hasidic calendar. It's replete with festivals. And for all Jewish people, the festival of Hanukkah is a tremendous and great celebration. But here's a question that I was challenged with as we get ready for Hanukkah. You all know that here at Chabad, we have lots of Hanukkah celebrations. You could look outside right here at Kosher World. There am I lighting the menorah. Good 10, 11 years ago. And more recently at Sandton City, we have a giant seven meter menorah. And this week, we've had several meetings with the staff at Sandton City just to finalize the details of this giant menorah that we're gonna light for the community. But what's the point? What's the purpose? Why light a big menorah? And this is a question I get challenged with. I just brought in this beautiful LED menorah that we put in our car. And the truth is we have this available for the community for anyone who wants to put on your car, or in your shop, or in your shul, or in your home, you can contact me, and we got these in, we bought them in the US for $65, and we're giving it to you at that cost price, if anyone's interested, we'll be importing a bulk order of them. But people wonder, and this is the question I was challenged with last night, why are you putting up this giant menorah? Why do you have to put a menorah on your car? What's the reason for all this? Now, we know that lighting the menorah is a Jewish tradition. We all do it. And of course, this is something that all Jews do. Everybody's got to light the menorah because after all, it's Hanukkah. And we all celebrate Hanukkah. At, you know, it's a Jewish holiday, right? So if we're all celebrating Hanukkah, then we all want and we all enjoy the holiday with all the aspects and elements of it, from the latkes to the dreidel games to lighting the menorah to the festivities. There's lots of joy and celebration. But these jumbo menorahs, which are impossible to miss, they're big, they're bright, and oftentimes if you come to Santon City where we light the menorah, you'll have great music accompanying it, and we're going to give out Hanukkah kits. In fact, for all senior citizens, please God, next week we plan to give hundreds of Hanukkah kits. And in your kit, you're going to receive a menorah, and candles, and a dreidel, and please God also a nice, delicious fresh donut. That's our plan for you. Hopefully, with 
the participation of people in the community, we could get this out to every single Jewish senior in town. So, obviously, we're making a bold statement about Hanukkah. Yet, many people question, very good, celebrate Hanukkah. Celebrate in your house, celebrate in your shul. But to celebrate in, to make these big, bold, in-your-face menorahs in the public sphere, what's that all about? And today, I would like to try to address this matter because if yesterday I was challenged about it, I'm sure that more than just one person challenged me. And the truth is the person who challenged me was not a secular Jew, was a very from person, a person who appreciates Hanukkah but doesn't understand why we make this big deal. Why is it so important to do so? So first of all, let me say this is not a Chabad invention. If you go into the Halacha, it says very clearly in Shulchan Aruch, that the mitzvah is to place a menorah lights outside your door, closest to the public domain. Very clear in Shulchan Aruch in the Code of Jewish Law. And it says, if your house is open to the street, then you should place it near the door. If your house is open to the courtyard, it should be placed near the entrance to the courtyard. If a person lives on the second floor, then what do you do? Well, very clearly the halacha says, then you don't put it at the door, rather put it at a window so that people can see it. It should be visible to the street. And one more thing it says though, the caveat is in times of danger, right? In times of danger, Bishas Hasakana says the Shulchanarach, then Rashoya Kama Mitzvah, Manichai al Shulchanavadaya. If it's dangerous to put your menorah in a public space, you know, you think during a Holocaust, during other challenging, difficult times, then you don't want to cause yourself uh, danger by anti-Semites uh, attacking you. Well, in that case, the halacha says you can put the menorah inside the house. So, why is it that the menorah should ideally be lit at the window or doorway? You don't see this with any other mitzvah. Do you see this in any other mitzvah? You have to eat your matzah at the window. So people you see eating your matzah. You have to uh, do your shalach manas, your, your uh, reading the Megillah outside or... No other mitzvah that I could think of. Obviously, the sukkah, we sit in outside, but it's not a publicity matter. Only here, when it comes to Hanukkah lighting the menorah, does the Gemara, Tractate Shabbos, tell us what does it mean to put it outside? Mission Pursume Nisa, because we want to publicize the miracle. It is to publicize that people should see. This is Jewish PR. We want people should see the menorah. So it's not just a mitzvah that we're commemorating ancient events that happened to our ancestors 2,500 years ago, or rather less, 2,250 or so years ago. But rather it's to publicize and promote awareness of this miracle that happened to us so long ago, of the few in the hands of the many, of the light triumphing over the darkness. It's a message we could all take. This country that went through a very dark period, certainly it's a very powerful message about the light prevailing. And since spreading awareness of Hanukkah, the Talmud tells us, is the key component to the mitzvah, that's why our sages instituted several details into the performance of menorah lighting that would ensure that it would contain this public aspect. That's the idea of Pirsuma Nisa, to publicize the miracle. And so, my friends, I'm going to use this term often, Pirsuma Nisa, which means publicizing the miracle. The Talmud tells us that the best place to light your menorah is outdoors. Not inside your house, outdoors, to get maximum exposure. And of course, it was only in times of danger that we were given that 
permission to light it inside. So that being the case, that we light our menorah publicly outside, very clearly you know that where Jewish law stands in the matter. Now we know over time, there were, there were times when Jews were, Jewish life was endangered, especially for hundreds of years in Europe. And during that time, it was moved to the shul. It wasn't a public affair. We didn't do it outside because unfortunately Jewish lives were endangered at that time. And that's why it wasn't practical to publicly display one's menorah. But what about in today's day and age where the reality is that for many people, firstly, shul is no longer that dominant place where Jewish life takes place. And many Jews today, you could say, never even stepped foot into a shul. And there's still a measure of publicity when we light the menorah, even though if you do it in shul, it's great. If you do it at home, it's, it's best. You have to light it at home. But nevertheless, we go out there as Chabad, and we place the menorah in the street for everybody to see. And when you when it's out there in the public, we make it so big that you can't miss it. It's on the car. It's on. It, it, it's in front of Sandton City. It's outside in the streets. It's kosher. What you name it, everywhere we want, everyone should be able to see the menorah to publicize this miracle in the states. It's put outside city halls. It's outside the White House. You name it, and there it is. And there you have an ancient Talmudic idea of pursuing Issa to publicize the miracle. And here we find a modern application, a way of doing this in today's day and age. So you could say that it's sort of, if Jews don't come to shul, well, we're bringing the shul to them. Because for centuries, Hanukkah was celebrated more at shul, with the public menorah lighting in the shul. Well, here we're taking the menorah and putting it out in all these places. And this is the motto, Chabad takes this care and concern for every single Jew very seriously. It's uh, The Rebbe didn't like the term outreach because we're all together as one. But this is Abbas Yisrael, to care for another person's material and spiritual needs. So for, for some people they might need, uh, some people want that donut that's going to make them feel the Hanukkah, the latka, and for someone else it might be a dreidel game. But having the big menorah, I can tell you over the years how many people have told me, you don't know what a difference it made. It made me proud of my Judaism. And there's some great stories that come to mind. Maybe I could tell you some just now. In fact, there is one that I feel I have to tell you now. We had a visitor to our shul last year by the name of Rabbi Briskin. He told us this story because it's a very amazing story. I want you to hear this. He related that it was Hanukkah in early 1990s or maybe late 1980s. I don't remember all the details. I'm not going to repeat it to you verbatim. But he said they, they had a Hanukkah event. And he was new in his town. It was somewhere, somewhere in California. Today you could go to Chabad of Caneo. It's a huge, thriving community and there are many centers. But he says when he first moved there in the, in the mid-80s, they weren't yet you know, as big as they were. And you could say the same for every community that starts off our shul, our programs. Anyways, Rabbi Brisky started a shul off, and the Rebbe started this campaign in the 1970s to put up these big public menorahs, and he knew if that's what the Rebbe wanted, he was going to do it. And he looks in the mall, he looks into the phone book to find what the mall is. You know, remember back in the 80s, we didn't have internet. Couldn't Google what's the best mall, and he's new in town, so he doesn't know which one's the most popular mall. He finds the number to a mall, he calls up the shopping center, speaks to the manager, could we put up a, a giant menorah outside, have a big Hanukkah party? This manager was more than delighted. I mean, this he was amazed to see how 
willing and easy this manager was to offer them a great spot. So they gave him a place outside the movie theater, and that's where he puts up the menorah. But to his chagrin and disappointment, he comes there, and there's hardly anyone around. Hardly any people present. They, may, they advertise this big Hanukkah party, only a few people show up. It's him and a couple of yeshiva bachrim, and there's this man walking into the theater, and they grab him, they're dancing, they're celebrating. I don't even know which part of the story to start with. I think I told the story in, I'm just giving it in, in the chronological sequence. Anyways, we'll fast forward a couple of years. I think it was quite a few years. And what happens is, Rabbi Brisky, it was Rosh Hashanah, and he's having Rosh Hashanah lunch in his house. And there is a moving truck, a moving truck coming next door. Next door to his house, or one of the neighboring houses on the street. And they, one of the Bachar notices that this moving truck is being managed by Israeli movers. Young Israeli guys after the army, touring America, making a couple of bucks. So they are the ones who are manning this moving truck. And he invites them, he says, come, come inside for the Rosh Hashanah meal. They say, no, we're on a job. Say, yeah, but it's Rosh Hashanah, you can't miss Rosh Hashanah uh, lunch. Come join us. Well, the guys thought, you know what, we'll put one person on, you know, on watch outside. And as soon as you see the owner come, we're all going to run out and continue our work of moving his furniture into the house. So all the Israelis come inside and they're enjoying a Rosh Hashanah meal. And all of a sudden the car pulls up, it's the neighbor, and these guys are feeling so embarrassed. On the job, they're supposed to be moving this guy into his house. And here they stop and they are, you know, moonlighting. Well, anyways, the rabbi greets his new neighbor and says, come in our house also, come have some Rosh Hashanah lunch with us. Turns out the guy's Jewish. And this man was more than delighted to meet Rabbi Brisky. And he says to the rabbi, you saved my life. The rabbi, how did I save your life? What are you talking about? I don't recall ever meeting you before. And he says to the rabbi, I don't know if you remember me, but I distinctly remember you. It was a number of years ago, and it was Hanukkah. And the man describes how after going through, uh, had a terrible car accident, and uh, one of his kids w- died, and he and his wife were not going, were not getting along very well. Things were bad, and they had one surviving child, and he and his wife got divorced. And he was just going from bad to worse, and he made the decision to terminate his life. And this man describes to Rabbi Brisky how he wrote a suicide letter, and he decided he was going to give his daughter one last night together before he takes his life later that night. And he decided he was going to take her to a movie. And he chose a movie theater in this mall. Remember the mall wasn't very busy. This mall was actually closing down, it wasn't doing very well, and that's why they were very welcoming and let the rabbi do his Hanukkah candles, they let, let there be some life outside the movie theater, some excitement. And this man said he was taking his daughter to watch a movie before he was going to commit suicide that night. And the rabbi and the Bahram yeshiva students grabbed this man and, gra- and took his daughter into the circle and they were dancing and singing and celebrating Hanukkah. And he says that joy, that joy that night just gave me another, a new dimension, a new lease on life. 
And I decided not to terminate my life that night. I owe my life to you, Rabbi, and I put my life together. And here I am, prosperous and successful, moving into this new house. Don't worry about these movers. Let them enjoy Rosh Hashanah with you. You saved my life. And Rabbi Brisky then realized, if he goes back in retrospect, he thought, what a waste of a time. I didn't do my homework. I didn't do my research. I chose the wrong shopping center to put my Hanukkah menorah. But guess what? This was all part of the divine plan, saving a life and saving that one life. You can imagine, as the Talmud tells us, saving one life is like saving an entire world. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back to Sultus already here on 101.9 Hi FM. So we're talking here about the menorah today. And the question then again is, why are we putting up this big giant menorah? Well, you can see just from this one story alone of a life that was saved. And I can personally tell you how many times people have given me encouragement and told me that it, it just made them feel proud of the Jewish identity. And we understand clearly from Jewish law why it is that, we, that the reason we light public menorahs is to fulfill this mitzvah of Pursume Nisa as described in the Talmud long, long ago. 2,000 years ago, we're told already about publicizing the miracle. So this logic though has a flaw that people challenge me with. Because while it is true that the menorah will have more visibility in the public domain, but the menorah becomes exposed to the greater world as well. We're inviting not just the Jewish community to partake in our Hanukkah celebrations, but we're inviting everyone, all of humanity, Jews and non-Jews alike, to take part in the festival of lights. Now the question that people challenge me is, isn't it a Jewish, isn't this a Jewish holiday? Why do we have to expose it to others? Isn't Hanukkah time for Jews to come together? The public domain doesn't belong to us. It's not our place to parade our uh, sacred rituals that we do that are meant for us. Now if you really want to perform the mitzvah of Persumenisa, as it's been done throughout the centuries, then it would be appropriate to do it within the Jewish world, as was done always in the shuls. But putting a menorah in the public, that's just a development that has no precedent per se in Jewish law. This idea of pursuing Nisa, do we really have to put it out there in the public eye? It means, as some argue, to publicize the miracle to the Jewish people. So Sandton City is not a Jewish place, even if it's owned by Liberty and was started by the Gordon family. Even with the advantage of reaching so many more Jews, if we put it out there in the public domain, even if they could save a life like Rabbi Brisky's story, how can Chabad possibly justify that we put it there in the face of the non-Jewish community too? And so, my friends, we're going to go a little bit deeper into this to really truly understand this and to give you a little bit of a Hasidic perspective. Because we only touched the tip of the iceberg, and let's get a little bit deeper into this. Let's turn our clocks back several hundred years to the moment in time when the ghetto walls that surrounded Jews for centuries were actually torn apart. And there were two responses back then to the, to the liberation, so to say, of Jews. And this was a debate amongst Jewish people throughout. For centuries, while Jews were being oppressed and shut into the ghetto walls, 
you could say we were able to practice our Judaism. There was a certain blessing and benefit to it, you know. And in, in the Talmud, in in, in uh, where is it? I think it's in Proverbs. King Solomon says, "Lechol etzav you." Yes, there's a there's a benefit to every disadvantage. You can find an advantage to every problem. There's a solution. So even though we were stuck in a ghetto, at least it kept us as Jews tight knit, close together. But then once these ghetto walls were, were torn down. Then we were faced with a new threat, this threat of emancipation and liberty. How do you respond to this? And so to this, there was a tremendous debate in the Jewish community. The religious people, the, the Haredim, the, you could say the right wing generally, responded actually by segregating themselves, creating these virtual ghetto walls, creating our own insular communities, and rejecting the society that's around us. We live in our community, and I, I, I heard on Howard Feldman's show on Chaya FM the other day, he was interviewing a documentary producer who spoke about how amazed he was about this idea that we sort of created our own community within the community, unlike the Amish and the Quaker who moved out to the suburbs and to, to more distant areas, we established ourselves sort of a ghetto within the community. Okay? But others... You have a more secular perspective that embraced this freedom, this emancipation. And they assimilated into the melting pot of society. And many people, I'm not going to say everyone, but many people lost their Jewish identity in the process. You know, it started like this. Some A man tells me, he says, his great-great-grandfather used to say, you know, I'm getting dressed for the Heilige Shabbos Kodesh. So his son would say, you know, Shabbos, Kaddish is coming. And then his son called it Shabbos. And then he says, the next generation called it the Sabbath. And he says, the current generation calls it the day before Super Bowl Sunday. People have very much assimilated. And we have this dichotomy, this major, you could call it a debate of what the Jewish approach is. And to tell you the truth, within Chabad, we get attacked from both sides. Both groups, for different reasons, are opposing our Jamba Manors. They all, you know, one tells us that it's too in-your-face religious. That's one perspective, the assimilated Jew. The other perspective says, Rabbi, Judaism is to be for us. Why are we going out there in the streets exposing ourselves and our children to all types of negative influences that the public domain has? So we're getting attacked from both sides who are telling us that we shouldn't be putting these public menorahs up. So what is the theology behind this concept, this this social anomaly? Why did the Lubavitcher Rebbe insist that we should put these menorahs out there in the public? And so I want to go into a different perspective that hopefully could synthesize and bring together the left and the right, the secular, the assimilated, and the ultra-Orthodox, and give you the Chabad approach, the Chabad perspective. Because after all, if this was a project that the Rebbe promoted, and the Rebbe very much encouraged these public menorah displays, then obviously this was one of his projects and solutions to the problems, you could call it the ongoing Holocaust, which is the problem of assimilation of Jews, just, you know, call it ignorance and apathy. And as one man said to me, I asked him, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? You know what he answered? Rabbi, I don't know and I don't care. 
And that's the problem that we face today with many of our modern people. They don't know and they don't care. So let's look in the Torah. What does the Torah tell us? The Torah tells us that, that, let me quickly quote a verse here in Deuteronomy. Let me just pick up this verse. Okay, it says like says to the Jewish people, Behold, I have taught you the statutes and ordinances, the laws that Hashem commanded me to do so in the midst of the land which you're going to possess. He himself wasn't even going to there. And Amosha reminds the Jewish people, You should keep these mitzvahs, you should do them. For that is your wisdom and your understanding. What did he say? In the eyes of the people. So that they will hear all the statutes and say, what are they going to say? Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. And Moshe Rabbeinu continues, For what great nation is there that Hashem has that, that as God so near to it, as Hashem, as God, is at all times that we can call upon Him. And which great nation is it that has just statutes and ordinances as this entire Torah? Those are the words of Moshe. So the Torah is pointing out a novelty here. Following the Torah path is not just a matter of concern between Jew and God. It's not just between us and Hashem. But rather it's to achieve some kind of awareness amongst the other nations. There's a macrocosmic purpose. Stressing that together with the relationship with God, we should endeavor to achieve some kind of respect from the nations of the world. As he said, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the eyes of the people who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this is a great nation, wise and an understanding people. You hear these words of Moshe? Moshe is telling us it's not just for us. And you could see this throughout Tanakh. Some of the great prophets also emphasize this point. So many times about being a light unto the nations of the world. So when we see these verses that are clearly in our scriptures, what does it suggest? We have a role that's not just to be cloistered in our little ghettos, just to ourselves. But we have to be, the role of the Jewish people is not just meant to be for ourselves, we've got to take it to the next level. We're charged with a mission of being a light unto the nations. And we're expected to do that. The goal isn't just to achieve this kind of passive respect, but that we should somehow give guidance and direction to the rest of the world. What better time to bring light to the world than Hanukkah? So how do we do this? What is that light that we're meant to bring to the nations? Says the Radak, Rabbi David Kimchi, a great 11th century commentator. He says that our mission is to teach the lessons of Torah, not just to our children, but to all of humanity, to non-Jews as well. Specifically the seven Ohad laws, which actually pertain to our day-to-day lives. And this is actually codified. Rambam talks about this. Rambam tells us, that we're meant to inspire the nations of the world, the B'nai Noach. So here you have it very clearly that we're not just meant to be cloistered in our own little lifestyle, in our own little communities and ghettos. Why were these seven Noahide laws given? What purpose do they serve in God's universal scheme of things? What are they supposed to accomplish? 
says Rabbi Avadja Bar Tanura. I'm sorry, this Farna. He says that we are meant to serve as a treasure out of all the peoples. We have to be a he quotes the verse, The Torah, God charges us with a mission to be a nation of priests and a holy people. So we are meant by taking these commandments, these laws, which tell us to create just and civilized world of good and proper people. We have a mission to make the world a decent, civilized place. So, if that is our mission, then we are, so to say, the lantern. We have that job to inspire, to influence those around us. Now, the obvious question that people ask is, why Jews who have been charged with this obligation don't really engage in interfaith dialogue and things like that? Personally, I'm going to be speaking today at a major interfaith event commemorating the 12th anniversary since the Mumbai attacks. Rabbi Gabi Holtzberg was a personal friend of mine, and I was invited tonight to this event to speak as representing the Jewish community. And indeed, if you want to say that our mission is to be a light in the world, and as a rabbi being invited to speak, but oftentimes you find we don't really engage. Why have we never reached out with our gift to the world? Right? We're known to, to dwaddle. We've had thousands of years to bridge the gap with these seven Noahide laws for all of mankind. Why have we never engaged in such a reality? Why was this not done in the shtetl of the old country? And the answer, as they say in Yiddish, is simple. As any even not so serious student of Jewish history will tell you, throughout history we simply weren't in a practical position to fulfill this purpose, this mandate. We have been persecuted and slandered, and the opportunity to possibly, positively influence the world around us really never presented itself. But now, thank God, when we enjoy full and equal rights here in South Africa and in most countries in the Western world, and even you could say in the Mideast, look, in the Abraham Accords, look what's going on. We finally have this newfound freedom and opportunity. Did you see in Dubai this week in a publicly displaying food imported from Israel? We are living what we might call Mashiach Zeitin. And if we're not in the times of Mashiach yet, let's at least not just anticipate, let's precipitate it. And the reason it's never been done before basically is because persecution, anti-Semitism. But now with freedom of religion, there's a way for us to... to to, we have an opportunity like never before. As the Rebbe put it, we have a privilege. And with the privilege comes the responsibility. And this responsibility, as Chief Lord, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs, I want to read his words to you, because he put it, the blessed memory passed away two weeks ago. Let me just share with you his words, really profound. He said, what if non-Jews no longer look down on Judaism as inferior to Christianity, to Islam, or Enlightenment Universalism? What if they actually respected it as a source of wisdom and inspiration? These are no longer what if. They are actually within which we live. Sometimes the Jewish world can seem like a group of passengers on a train who are arguing with such passion that they entirely fail to notice that the train has reached its destination and it's time to get out. 
That is what happens when we forget that Judaism does not mean living in the past. It means living with the past, but with eyes firmly turned toward the future. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievman. And so, my friends, just taking these words from the late Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who was personally inspired by the Rebbe and shared with us these profound words, I hope we now have the necessary knowledge to see the public menorah in this proper context and we can understand the full effect of a public menorah. And while you could say perhaps in previous generations it may have been prudent to mind our own business, to avoid anti-Semitic reactions, that, you know, that was in the past. Certainly anti-Semitism did exist. And you could say maybe it still exists in some places in the world. But thank God in today's day and age, most non-Jewish people by and large respect and look up to us as Jewish people. And this is a very profound and important message for us in Hanukkah. Some of the Jews back in the Hanukkah story are ones who capitulated to the Assyrian Greek pressure at the time and had to assimilate and become like the rest of the nations of the world. But yet, despite all that they had done to try to defile the thoughts and the hearts and the minds of the people of Israel, says the beautiful book, Sefer, uh, the, the book of our heritage, that says that there was still a small jug of oil, right? There still remained a modicum of light in their hearts, a single spark of true wisdom, which enabled people to know that truly deep down they were sacred, they were holy, not to allow themselves to be defiled. And this, I think, is the important message of Hanukkah. As the Rebbe would tell us, we have to light the menorahs outside. Why outside? Because that affects all the people outside. Not only the Jewish people, all people, all of humanity. We have to influence and inspire all people to be good, moral, and just, and to follow the seven Awad laws, which inspires us with that. And the world, my friends, has woken up to listen to the message that we carry for them. Now it is our turn to wake up and to change those policies that have dictated our approach to our relations with the non-Jews around us. It's high time that we come to that realization that the world respects us. The world is not bothered when we are proud of who we are. The public menorah is a chance to take our Judaism to the streets. When we display it at Santon City and in all other public domains, what we're doing is we're engaging with the nations of the world. People might ask, sure people ask what's going on. And so this time around we can answer them proudly that we are proud of our spirituality. And they should be too. Everyone should be proud. Everyone should be proud of their heritage or ancestry. Be proud of who you are. Today is a celebration of religious freedom. And you too can experience that freedom, every single human being. And at that moment, that opportunity to encourage, to engage with others, to promote and to raise that awareness of the Jewish ethics and morals. Not that we're looking to convert, we're not evangelicals. But we promote the awareness of the Torah's morals. And so this is our opportunity to share the seven Noahad laws, which are universal morals that they represent. And I think now is better than ever an opportunity for us to do exactly that. Let me share with you a few more words from the great Lord Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs in his book 
a Judaism engaged with the world. Let me just read to you a few lines. He says, I discovered that non-Jews respect Jews who respect Judaism. Non-Jews are embarrassed by Jews who are embarrassed by Judaism. The menorah is a brilliant way to promote our beautiful heritage for all to see. To, to be that beacon of light to the nations which all could see. And so in our prayers of Hanukkah we say, May the light of the public menorah shine forth in those days and in this time. My friends, this is our festival of light. We're in the month of Kislev. We're approaching the festival of Hanukkah. And certainly in a time when the world needs more healing, when the world needs more peace, let's pray that this light of the menorah that we are ushering in with this upcoming festival, it should teach us and we should learn the important lessons. Let's just think of a few concluding lessons. Think of the nature of light where one candle can light up so many candles. No matter how many candles that one candle lights, think of it. Its own brightness, that one single candle does not lose, its light is not diminished. My friends, we can brighten up the lives of people around us. It will never diminish our own brightness. On the contrary, it will make our own lives shine even more brightly and ever more meaningfully when we can inspire and influence others around us. We start with our own circle of influence, with our family, with our friends, with our community, and indeed with the entire universe around us. That's the nature of light. Light will always be victorious and triumphant over darkness. A small amount of light dispels a lot of darkness. And this gives us a lot of hope in these difficult times. A great deal of confidence. It offers us the certainty that goodness and kindness will ultimately prevail over the darkness, over the challenges. And we need more than ever now. So Hanukkah is so relevant and so important that we could embrace Hanukkah now. It's a unique mitzvah. The, the primary mitzvah is what we do when we light our menorah that we discussed today. We light it in the public domain, whether it's at the window or door of your house or in front of Santon City or on your car, wherever it might be. It's not enough to be a Jew at heart or even at home, but rather we have to be like the menorah. We have to proudly proclaim that we are radiant, that people could see our light. We have to know that we have that light. We have to be aware of our light. That's why we have to be proud of the light that each one of us possesses. And so my friends, here, the Hanukkah menorah is a symbol of our ability to preserve and encourage that right and that liberty of all citizens to worship God. We live in a country where once upon a time that was not grant for granted. And today, thank God it is. Let us do so openly and freely and with pride. This is a country that, thank God, in the last 25 years has rigorously protected the rights of every single citizen, of every person to practice their religion freely, without any restraint or persecution as in the past. Let's embrace that. You have an opportunity now, my friends. Anyone who wishes, we have these menorahs that you could order to put on top of your car. We have Hanukkah menorah kits that we're giving out to the elderly. You have an opportunity to participate in that if you have your own menorah. Why don't you help us support those others who need menorahs? Let's bring this joy, this warmth, this message of Hanukkah to all those around us. 
you can be an ambassador of light. You are an ambassador of light. Every single one of us is an ambassador of light. You know, when the Maccabees came into the, into the, when the Maccabees came into the desecrated holy temple and they couldn't find any pure oil to light the menorah, all the oil was defiled. You know the story. And we know that miraculously they found that one small jug of pure, holy, undefiled oil. It was enough to illuminate the temple for just one night. And a miracle took place and it lasted for eight nights. My friends, in the teachings of Kabbalah, it tells us that every single one of us is like that candle. Every one of us has a divine soul within us that shines brightly. And at times we might feel uninspired spiritually. Sometimes we don't feel inspired Jewishly. We think, oh my, how could I be in that ambassador of light? Our own, my oil has been defiled. We might feel that we've become too materialized, that we've lost our sensitivity to the spiritual, that Judaism isn't really part of our daily experience. Says Hanukkah, with every one of us, there is that one small jug of pure holy oil, our neshama, our godly soul, that spark within us. The part of us that feels warm inside every time we do a mitzvah, every time we do a good deed, every time we help someone else. The part deep inside of us that gets upset each time we hear of a terrible tragedy. The part of us that brings tears to our eyes when we see the Hanukkah menorah, or when we say Yisker. That jug of pure holy oil. That's our essence, our pintaliyid. It's who we are. It's our godly soul that's indestructible, that's undefiable. And although it might be small in quantity sometimes, it's a miraculous little jug. And this little jug can light up our lives and can brighten up our daily experience, not just ours, but all those around us with that Jewish spirituality. My friends, let's make that miracle in ourselves. We need it now more than ever. And so as we share the warmth and light of Hanukkah with one another, and as we each kindle our own menorahs in our own homes in two weeks' time when Hanukkah begins, let's be inspired to add more mitzvahs, more do more, some more Torah study in our lives. Let's allow that inner spark, that tiny little jug of pure oil in us to light up our inner menorahs, to shine and illuminate our lives with godliness, with goodness. And hopefully, by doing so, we remember, we realize that we're not forgotten. The light is still there and we can share and spread that light with all those around us. Let us do so. Let's inspire the world. Let's inspire ourselves. Let's inspire everyone around us. My dear friends, I wish you a meaningful and great Shabbos. Look forward to see you here right back. Please God, next week, same time, same place. And remember, if you know any senior citizens in town, our Chabad Seniors Program delivers every single Friday hundreds of chalas to hundreds of senior citizens. And it's not just a visit. We go to each person and we bring a smile. We ask how they're doing. We check on their own well-being of each of these seniors who we visit. You can be a volunteer or you can nominate a senior who we should bring challah to. You can... We also bring full food parcels to seniors. We also have care calls to seniors every single week by our dedicated, committed volunteers. You could be part of this if you want to be a volunteer, if you want to nominate a senior, or if you want to help us financially with running this program, please feel free to touch base with me, myself, directly. Rabbi Ari Kivman, you could email me, rak at chabad.org.za 
or you can call me with pleasure. Here's my cell phone number, 079-434-1293, or call the Chabad House office, 011-440-6600. I'll be glad to assist in any way we can. Take care, have a great Shabbos, and all the best.